Geminet, a podcast about knitting, spinning, dyeing, and other crafts in Mid-America. Hi, I'm Sherry. And I'm Tamara. Thank you for listening. We're recording on August 29th, 2020, and today's episode is Getting Ready for Fall Knitting. So how are you doing today, Tamara? I'm good. It's been raining all morning, so it actually feels like fall for the first day all week. Yes, yes. In fact, when we were getting ready for this episode... I pretty much told you to get stuff ready because I was like, it is too hot. I cannot think about fall knitting. And this morning it is pouring rain and really cold. And for the first time this year, I am actually thinking about fall knitting. In the background, you will hear my dogs, Galen and Ryan. They're wrestling. I'll edit as much as I can, but I'm sure they're going to make an appearance here and there. What are you working on today? What I'm working on right now while we talk is that DK weight, dark teal or turquoise cabled top-down sweater. Uh-huh. I'm making the sample out of uh, Knit Picks Gloss DK, and I looked up the color name. It's Kenai. So that's the name of, uh, I think it's a peninsula in Alaska that we actually visited years and years ago. I'm not sure why I got that name. Nothing there was that color, but I love the <laughs> <laughs> nostalgic feeling of it. Uh-huh. What it's- about you? What do you? Oh, go ahead. Tell me the brand of yarn again. Oh, it's Knit Picks Gloss DK. Yes, you said that. I just didn't catch it. Uh, we are recording remotely, as one does these days. What I am working on is I have picked up my oldest UFO. I think we talked about that uh, last time, was that I went through all of my UFOs, and I unraveled uh, at least seven of them, and I went through a second pass, and I actually undid a couple of more, And I have been attacking them and trying to get at least some of them finished because I was in the mid 40s before this all started. Also, I have, (laughs) it is a lot. I always have a lot going, but that's a lot even for me. I've had no interest in starting new things. So at least I've been able to work on old ones. So, what I'm working on right now while we record is I'm weaving in ends of my oldest UFO ever. It is. The Garter Stitch Stripe, and the pattern's by Kanita Tolley. We both know her. She is a designer in the Manhattan area. It was from an Interweave magazine, and I started this in June of 2007. What has stopped me is after sewing it together, because it's knitting pieces, I had like 2 million ends to weave in. I'm down to the last 5 inches. So many ends. Show me the in- the last five inches. Okay, so it's really pretty. You got a lot of different colors going on there, but each different color has at least two ends, I think. And just yes. in that little bit you're showing me, I'm guessing maybe 30, maybe 40 ends are poking out. Is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it is a whole bunch of slim random stripes. I think I did the stripe sequence by rolling a six-sided die, and I had single balls. So this yarn in 06, 05, 04, I don't remember when. I love this yarn, but Mission Falls, they went out of business. I snagged all of the single balls I could off of eBay. This is back in the time of eBay yarn buying. I think eBay is still a thing. I just never look at it anymore. I never hear of other people really using it, but that was before Ravelry, before... So anyway... So I picked up what I could, and then I had to find a pattern to use it in. It's because each stripe is anywhere in between one and six rows, and the colors change so often 
there was no way to carry the yarn along the edge. So I had to break it every time I started a new color. <laughs> so maintenance. And that's the reason why it got set aside for more than a decade. I have several hours into weaving in the ends now, although it's happening a lot faster than I imagined. But I do think I am maybe six hours into it and I am almost finished. I just have these last five inches. Cool. I, that's a lot of hours, but that's going to be a really nice sweater once you get it finished because it's a yarn you love and those are great colors. Yes, yes. And it is a children's sweater, but the largest size is pretty large. So I don't think, I don't remember modifying the pattern any. And it still fits even now, even though I am not the size I was a decade ago. But I did try it on before I started weaving the ends because I didn't want to put in the time and not have it fit. But it is still for me. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, that's cool. Have you finished anything? Sort Well, not really. I have finished knitting on that cowl that I talked about last time. Um, the design where I, I mentioned that the Mirasol Yarns Nunya did a really good job. I talked about it in Mulligans last time because I had to rip it out mm -hmm. and re-knit it even after I'd washed it. And the yarn held together really well. So I've redone that. I was very careful paying close attention and taking detailed notes the whole time I knit the thing. And then the most important step as a designer is... Right away, before anything else caught my attention, I sat down and I wrote the entire first draft of the pattern, and then I did my edits on drafts two and three. Before I could get sidetracked or forget what I was thinking, I made it through those first three edits. So it's not mm -hmm. finished, finished, but uh, it'll be ready for a test knit sometime in the next couple of weeks. I've done that. What about you? You got more finished things? I do. One is an Argyle hat. This is made out of Knit Fix. City Tweed that you gave me. I think the pink you actually gave me as a gift and the green you gave me as leftovers from one of your sweaters. Mm -hmm. Both of them I had knitted into movie hats because I wanted something where I could just cast on and do some ribbing and then knit in round and in the round with no pattern whatsoever. And I thought the tweed would make it interesting enough. I've now been knitting long enough that just plain hats don't interest me anymore. I don't like wearing them. I don't like gifting them. There's nothing wrong with them. I just don't like it. So both of those hats had sat for quite a while and not been worn by me and not been gifted. Unraveled them to reuse the yarn because I like the yarn quite a bit. And doing a pink and green argyle hat, well, a little bit fiddly, is something I'm now very, 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 very very happy with and will wear myself or be happy to gift it away. I learned a lot doing this. It's not hard at all, but there was a million little ends hanging down and they kept on tangling on me, but it was worth it in the end. It is deconstructed because I didn't have enough of one scrap to make a complete argyle, the little zigzaggedy lines that go through it. So when those yarns ran out, I just ended the line there and I am calling that a design element like artistic license with it. I'm quite pleased with it actually. I'm naming the hat Argyle Unraveled. Cool. And then the next one, this one I actually followed a pattern. The pattern is, let me actually click on it. The reason I'm doing that is because there's not a word of English in this pattern. The pattern is in Finnish. I see it. I don't speak Finnish, but I love languages, so I'm going to take a wild stab. Rakudella Sinem. See, I have it done phonetically, so I wouldn't embarrass myself. I had Google read it to me, 
And according to Google, it is Rockadella Sinun. Oh, I didn't get very close, but a little bit close. <laughs> I think you got the Rockadella right. So it was super hard to get that Google to read it to me because what kept on popping up is a Tom Hanks movie where in English it's every time we say goodbye, but in the foreign language it's called Rockadella Sinun. So I had to get to like page three before I could get a pronunciation. The pattern is Tinapu. And the reason why I picked it, because it wasn't easy, because, not because anything was wrong with the pattern, but because there's not a single word in it that I understood, was I loved the heart cable, where it's nothing but the heart, and the heart is very heart-shaped, and mm -hmm. I wanted that. Pretty much the way I knit the hat is I downloaded it. It has a chart in it. I was able to see it said cast on 96 stitches. I saw the number 96, and then I just did the chart. And there was a couple of stitches in the chart that when I tried knitting this hat the first time, maybe about a decade ago, I couldn't figure out the symbols. And this time I still don't know what those symbols meant, but I could tell what she was trying to do. So I just did it. There was some sort of three stitch increase and some sort of two stitch decrease that was not slip slip knit or knit two together. I think the three stitch increase was knit purl knit into the same stitch, or at least that's what I did. Other than that, I pretty much knit it by looking at the picture because I was using my tablet, so I couldn't copy and paste it into Google Translate like I had originally intended to. But I was able to swatch up the hearts like I wanted to, and I'm super happy with the way it turned out. And the yarn is Malabrigo Worsted, mm -hmm. but somebody took Malabrigo Worsted and dyed it for me as a, a gift in a swap box at one point. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what color it started out, but now it's red and black and it is beautiful. Yeah, it is really pretty. When I washed it, it bled green. Really? Really? Oh, well, okay, so that's the black undertones. I know it that from, from yeah. dyeing my hair. Because <laughs> part, parts of my shower are permanently dyed different colors, depending on what color I've dyed my hair. <laughs> and I've scrubbed. It just, uh, yeah. I don't know if it's the dye that was applied for me or if it was the Malabrigo that bled, but it all washed out and it's no longer bleeding and it is gorgeous. All right. Maybe you could, like, uh, dye your hair accidentally if you get wet while wearing it. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've wondered about that on some hand-dyed yarns. Thankfully, that has not happened yet. Mm -hmm. Then the last thing I finished, and it's featured prominently in this podcast, I finally got the bookworm finished, that cardigan. I So many problems along the way. Nothing with the pattern, but um, with the yarn and yarn chicken and what I decided to do and the modification modifications I did along the way. I finally have that finished. So I'm very, very pleased with it too. That's it for what I'm finished. And I already asked you, or did I, do you have anything finished? Well, I just had the one finished. Um, I am working on a couple other things. One of them is, I've mentioned before that I don't, I live in a yarn desert and don't have a local yarn store. So with your help <laughs> and the help of uh, Trish, who's the owner of Yarn Social in KC, I was able to shop for the perfect pink yarn for a new design. Um, and it was pretty cool. It was almost as a great as going into a yarn shop because you would send pictures of yarns and you were picking stuff out and you were talking to me about them. Thank you very much for doing that. Mm -hmm. And I'm busy working on a new 
holiday cowl for 2020 out of that. So that really needs to go into test knitting in another uh, four weeks at the latest. And um, I'm having a lot of fun designing that as I go. Cool. And you showed it to me and it is super cute. I love it. Oh, thanks. It's it's cabled. And um, the yarn you ended up picking out was Blue Sky Fibers um, Woolstock Worsted. And it's in the color Quartz Crystal. I was looking for just the right pink for like a pulled taffy color. Um, and mm-hmm. this is really great. It's 100% Highland wool, and I don't know if you've worked with this before, but I really like the smell of the wool. It's very comforting, and I don't know. I, I don't notice that with all yarns, but I definitely did with this one. Well, I'm gonna have to. I have worked with it. I have a sweater on the needles with it. I say that I have a sweater in my UFOs <laughs> out of that yarn. What I like about that yarn is the colors come in 50 gram balls. But the natural colors, grays and the whites and the browns, they come in 150 gram balls. So they have these little balls and these great big balls. So I'm doing a one of those color work yoke sweaters that are so popular right now out of it. Yeah. So that I only needed two, I think, of the gray for the body. And then I was able to get like five or six. You started it. You got me uh, burgundy for my birthday. And I was able to take that and then add some other colors into it and only get small amounts of the colors and yeah. then large amounts for the body. And that is super exciting and not something I'd planned about talking about on this one. So I don't have links or anything. I'm going to, want to talk about that in detail in a different podcast. So I don't even think we're going to provide links to it because I have much to say. Anything else for this section? Just one more. I finally picked up my uh, Sherry pullover. Last year, I started re-knitting it because I've worn that particular sweater hiking, and it's made it down and up the Grand Canyon. It's made it a lot of places. It's a really great um, outer layer with the 100% wool, but I need to replace it because I have completely felted spots on it. And over the summer, I had zero interest in knitting on that because it was warm, and it's air and weight yarn, and just no. But (laughs) I am now ready to start picking that up again because I would like to have it to wear this fall. And I'm making my replacement of that one out of Valley Yarns Amherst in a color called Mm -hmm. Harvest Gold. So the same yard as as I originally made the sample garment in and a color that I like. I'm excited to pick that one back up. It should go fast, too, because at four stitches an inch, it really moves. Yeah, yeah. I love that sweater. I need to try that yarn sometime. Yeah, it's a good yarn. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what about mulligans? Do you have any? I did have an error on this sweater that I, w- I showed you that I'm working on right now. Last week when uh-huh. we were, or a couple of weeks ago when we were talking, I said, huh, I think I see something wrong with that cable. And I got to looking at it closer and I definitely did see something wrong with it. It was maybe eight rows back and I thought, man, I don't want to rip out all those rows and try to fix it, you know, go back. So instead, I just took those eight stitches of the cable and I dropped them down. I had just forgotten to cross. They weren't out of place. They just didn't get crossed like they should for the cable. So I just dropped them all down those eight rows and I put them on two different DPNs and I crossed them and I knit them back up through to the top where the working row was. And that worked pretty slick. Um, Used to be I would have been terrified to do that, but I felt like one of the times when you really felt like you made a huge step forward with your knitting was when you could just say, well, those particular eight or ten stitches are not right. I'm going to completely take them off of their current, off of their working um, row and drop them down and ladder them back up. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I still have not done that with cables, so that is pretty hardcore. 
I have done it with some lace, so I know what you're talking about. Oh man, but... I couldn't do it in lace to save my soul. No way, because uh, <laughs> lace doesn't is not intuitive to me in the same way that cables are. So uh-huh. there is no way I could do that properly. So maybe it just depends on which thing is more intuitive to a knitter. Or yeah, what you've done more of, just because of the pausing every single row to manipulate it. You know what? This hat that we talked about, my finished objects. This is the first one where I've easily cabled without a cable needle. And it was because the yarn was so grippy. It had been felted along the way, either in the dyeing process or in my storage process. So it was all tamped down. And it was so easy to cable without a cable needle. So it's my first full project where I didn't use a cable needle in the whole project. Huh. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I do like needles that are slightly grippy. So like the really slick needles I don't use in a cable project just because of that. Cause I don't want to worry about something slipping off. Mm-hmm. So that was my mulligan. So now are we going to talk about getting ready for fall knitting? All right. The reason we're doing that is because right now is when all of the yarn stores get their fall yarns. So the new lines are out. I haven't seen them because of the pandemic, but I know I'm getting emails that places are stocking up. And then the yarn companies are releasing patterns this time of year. Magazines are going out with their fall issues. So it seems like the appropriate thing to do. What do you have for this, Tamara? Normally, like just as a knitter, I went through it that way. And then later on, I'll talk a little bit about designing and what's going on for fall knitting. Mm-hmm. But as a knitter, I like this time of year when the new yarns are coming out and when the um, sales are happening, because I'm a sucker for a sale, um, I like to go pull up a few different things. I like to pull up searches to see what other people enjoy knitting in the fall, just to see if anything jogs a memory or looks great to me. Mm-hmm. And I did that. That's one of the first things I did. I did a Pinterest search and that was a lot of fun. Like if you you just go type in Pinterest on Pinterest and type in fall knitting, there's just, you know, scrolling down through hundreds and hundreds of different things. Mainly I found cabled sweaters, which yay, I like candy corn things and candy corn hats, which I'd forgotten were a thing. Um, a lot of different pumpkin things, which I normally don't make small things for the house. Uh-huh. Those are cute. Hats, fingerless mitts, and boot cuffs. And that one did catch my eye. I forgot I have a project that's boot cuffs that I started at a uh, gift along two, maybe three years ago. Uh-huh. That will be coming up on the podcast because as soon as we're done talking, I'm going to go dig that out because it's almost boot weather and I'm excited about that. Uh-huh. And then after that, I went and looked kind of just a Google search and I found a few different publications that pulled together, you know, these are our favorites or these are the ones that you have told us are your favorites. I have found two that I liked. I'll link to one of them was interweave one with the top three from each of their 2017 publications. That was fun to look at because it ended up, they did five sweaters, four cardigans, two shawls and one tee, like a layering tee. I thought, okay, that's right. I'm thinking about sweaters right now. Uh huh. And then I did a different one for, I like knitting and theirs was more, a lot of socks, which I, I don't really knit socks these days, but that's another good thing because people are going to want to start wearing the wool socks. I had fun doing that. I would not have considered uh, socks as fall knitting, mostly because they're small projects so that I wear them in fall, but Mm -hmm. I knit them in the summertime to keep the wool off of my lap because, you know, the sock never touches my body. It's just on my fingertips. Right. So that that is interesting. But yes, the sweaters and the cowls and the hats, especially hats. I think about for fall. 
Right. So what else? Then I went and looked at the the new Pantone colors won't be out until next February, but we have the ones that mm-hmm. they released for the 2020 and the 2021 season. And I went and looked at those again just to see, because I'd like to have those colors fresh in my mind before I go look at sale yarns. Right now, the only yarns I'll be looking at are online, so that's a little tricky on my computer screen. But I still want to be able to think, oh, I saw that one or this one. And then I also like to look at blogs and what people are talking about coming up with fashion things. And I found one I really liked. It's like the showcases of nine colors we think you'll see. And it just came out on August 28th. So it was really recent. And of all Mm -hmm. of those colors, I love almost all of them. One of them was a red wine color. One of them was every shade of blue, but especially like a bright, bright royal blue. Mm-hmm. Lots of gray. Celery, which is a pale yellow green that probably looks terrible on me, but I still like that color. And almond milk. I actually didn't love that one. I like a good oatmeal, but this was more of a cream and I couldn't wear that or launder it to say, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, a fresh orange, which is nice and bright, look like hunter orange almost. Um, beige tones and I would have called that one rust and rust is my all-time favorite color to wear and to knit with so I'm really excited uh-huh. to see see that one back out in the world black I don't know if I said that one and a military deep olive green and I thought man this is my season I love all of those mostly <laughs> uh-huh and there was a gray too right yeah lots of different shades of gray yeah, yeah. So. I'm scrolling through it right now myself the gray is the one that is appealing to me the most, but we have a different coloring. These are all your colors. They really are. Yeah, that was fun. And then I thought, well, after doing all that, I'm going to pull together my favorite things to wear during the fall because plenty of time, especially for smaller projects, to start knitting things that you're going to want to wear this fall. And then as it starts to transition into winter, I went ahead and I pulled up the ones that are my favorites. Mm-hmm. And those turned out to be, let me see, there was a sweater and a sweater and a cowl and a hat. And um, I had a lot of fun pulling those together. I actually wrote a blog post about it. Yeah. I was getting ready to say, you can't just say sweater, sweater, and hat. You have to tell (laughs) us uh, what they are. So you're saying that we can go read that blog post to find out what you're talking about? Yeah, I'll link to it in the show notes. Okay. And our show notes are at jiminetpodcast.com. And your blog, why don't you tell us where your blog is? It's my name. So it's tamramoots.com. Uh-huh. That just goes straight to my blog. But I actually pulled up the picture and I'll tell you exactly which ones they are. Uh, it was the Rinfest shawl, which I really like. Mm-hmm. A lot of cables. And the Salt River sweater, which is a new one that I came out with this spring. I love that one. Yeah. I am actually spinning the yarn to make that one. I haven't said anything because since I'm spinning it, that might be something for 2022. Who knows? <laughs> okay. But I love that one. <laughs> that's a really that's a really good one, and it's got good shaping. I really like and the length, and uh, I had a lot of fun taking the photos for that one. It's been too warm to wear it, so I'm looking forward to that one. And then the mm-hmm. Aurora hat, which is an all-over cabled hat. The Sedona cowl with the little bitty cables that are real easy to work. It's a real simple, good gift one. And called Sedona because the little bitty cables reminded me of vortexes um, from the Sedona area. The Emma sweater, which is uh, another Aaron Waite sweater with a split hem. And then I think my all-time favorite thing to wear is the Green Canyon scarf um, because it is long. It's like 19 inches 
it's nine inches wide and like 90 inches long, my sample of it. And so I can wrap that around my neck once or even twice, or I can leave it hanging down all the way and it goes clear down outside of a coat or a jacket. I really like that one. Mm-hmm. And that one has that wavy snake cable for the river up the center, but you said that wasn't actually a cable. It was all done with increases and decreases. Is that actually correct? Yep, that's right. Yeah, I'm going to have to make that then. Because I've always admired it, but I was like, there's no way I can do a scarf use out. Because like I just said, I'm my first project without a cable needle. And I was like, mm, a cable needle for six feet or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to have to make that. Oh. That is very exciting. Yeah, I love that one. And that's really all the stuff I pulled together uh, kind of as what other people might be, you know, as a knitter. So mm-hmm. what about you? What do you do when you're getting ready for fall knitting? Um, so as a knitter, normally this time of year, I am hitting the yarn stores and looking at the new yarns and petting them and learning about them and then hitting the clearance rack from their old yarns, which are, you know, maybe not even 2019's colors, but 2018 or 17 because they go on clearance. And then I just pick patterns as they appeal to me. I don't put that much thought into it. But I'll knit a whole bunch of cowls and hats because they're still small but warm and cozy. Mm-hmm. And then I move on to sweaters. If I start a sweater now, it's really going to be for January. But now's when I start getting in the mood to think about sweaters. Yeah. Really it's all about looking at the new stuff and then just randomly picking things out as I go. Like any other time of year. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the reason why I wanted to hear about what it's like designing for fall. Uh, okay. Because I know you have to put in a lot more, um, you know, I'm going to a buffet while you are making that buffet for me to go to. So talk about it. When you're getting ready for fall knitting as a designer, that actually started months and months ago. And it kind of follows the same path Um, I picked a particular sweater. The Prairie Winds pullover is in test knitting right now. And the testers are moving right along on that one. But I thought I would just kind of walk you through how that went from when it first started until now to give you an idea. It's scheduled to be released shortly after the test knit deadline of October 30th. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I actually cast that sweater on in early May, which means I had to think through the design process and get the yarn for it and start doing swatching and all of that stuff before May to get ready. So that's six months ago. Mm-hmm. And then I did the design, you know, you go through and you do the design knitting and you get it just right. And that usually takes a month or so. If I'm on a strict deadline, I can kind of push away all of the other projects and just work on a thing and it'll go much faster. But if I'm trying to work on things that all together and I don't have a strict deadline, then you figure at least a month to get through all of that and get a finished sample garden garment. And then you have to start writing the pattern kind of mid-June for this one. And then it goes through lots and lots of revisions and it needs to go through getting good photos of it. And then it needs to be ready to send to the tech editor by like mid-July at the absolute latest. Because you want to be able to go back and forth with the tech editor and make sure that it all makes sense before you send it out for test knitting because you never want to waste a tester's time with a pattern that's not ready, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I called for testers on that sweater on July 31st. I always try to give for a sweater, I always try to give test knitters at least 13 weeks 
12 or 13 weeks because I, I don't want them to feel rushed. I used to do a turnaround time shorter than that. And I would still get testers to do it because knitters are amazing people and they like to help out and they like to see new patterns and kind of give their input. But the longer I've been doing this, the further I push out the deadlines because I realize like they have their own lives to live and they have other things that they want to be knitting on. And um, so it just seems more fair to do it that way. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at the end of the test knit, uh, I always ask people, when you finish this garment, will you please answer these questions? And I take their answers and I compile them all into a document and I take all of the, you know, questions throughout the test knit thread and I can put it all in there. And then I, I print it out and I go through the pattern again and consider each of those little bits of information. So that'll take another week or so minimum to kind of figure out. Um, and then it'll be ready for release. So start to finish. I had to start like before May. And it'll take at least six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really long. Are you like deciding out your year in January? Are you already working on next year now? How does that work out with you? Because it takes such a long time from start to finish. The sweater that I'm working on right now that I keep talking about, the dark teal mm-hmm. DK weight, I don't plan to start that one in test knitting until January, um, early okay. January. And that means that it won't be released until late March or April, which isn't a great time to release a new sweater. Um, I know that's true, but it is a great time for testers to want to knit on a new sweater because January rolls around and they're all, you know, they're all ready to start a new sweater. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the time that they put into it. And I like, you know, talking to them back and forth in the thread. And I want to get a good group of testers. And I found that if I start a test knit in early January, that's a great time to get testers on a sweater. And so I've started doing that every year. You know, I could push back the release, but one of the things I do for my testers is I give them a free copy of the pattern. And then once their project is linked to the now live pattern, um, I give them a, a choice of another um, design that they want as a, and I'll just gift it to them. Mm-hmm. And if I push it from where they finished, you know, several months out to make a fall release, that's not fair at all. Cause like they did all that work and they didn't get anything for it. Um, so uh-huh. I just, re- I just release it at the end and it usually works out fine because you know, you do get sales right away when you release a pattern, but then, you know, the pattern's there for people to look at and decide on for forever. You know, next time when fall runs around, the people that saw it and thought, man, I'm not interested in working on a sweater right now, we'll see it again and you'll get, you know, maybe some sales then. Okay. That is very interesting. And that's actually what I wanted to learn about. So let's go ahead and move on to the technique. Do you get a chance to try the old Norwegian cast on? I did. Yeah, I definitely did. I, I blocked off some time yesterday and did it. Well, let me tell you the reason why I was like, go do this. So the hat pattern that I did, since I couldn't tell what cast on it was, and also, I don't even know what language it is because the um, page says it's Norwegian and the page says it's Finnish. And so I don't know even know which language it's in. But I was like, well, let's be on theme. So I just Googled Norwegian cast-ons. The old Norwegian cast-on is what popped up. So that's what I used on the hat. Okay. What did you think of it? First, I pulled out my cast-on and bind-off book and tried to do mm-hmm. it from the, d- the description in there. And I thought, I mean, no, 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 no. 
<laughs> it did not work. The stitches were all twisted and there were too many bits of yarn wrapped around the needle and it just was not right. So then I went and I looked for a video tutorial and the first one I found was by Very Pink Knits and she usually uh -huh. does a great job. So She does, um, yes. yeah. She cleared it up right away what I was doing wrong at about, I'll, I'll link to the video that I found in the show notes, but at about one minute and 58 seconds in this tutorial, she says, now here's the tricky part of this cast on. And she was exactly right. That was exactly what I had been doing wrong. <laughs> After that, I thought it was pretty great. I still would have said, you know, that was, um, it took several times watching the video to get it right. While it was on the needle right there, the row that I had just finished doing the cast on, they say that it's supposed to be stretchy and it's supposed to mm -hmm. be tidy and it's supposed to be, and I would have said at that point, if I wouldn't have kept going, it's none of those things. This is not tidy. <laughs> this does not feel stretchy. <laughs> um, but I went ahead and kept knitting on the swatch, got, you know, maybe an inch or two away from that cast on row. And then I pulled it to see how stretchy it was. Mm -hmm. It is, it is very stretchy. And it is also tidy because when you pull it, it makes those stitches tidy that didn't look tidy before. Now I agree. It's all of the things. Yeah, I do like it. Yeah. What about you? I like it a lot and I will be using it. But this is where my mulligan comes into. If I want to back up just a little bit and say it's also called the German Twisted Cast On. It's called both names. I just went with the first two videos I found and both of them showed how to do it in tutu rib. So you did two stitches one way and then two stitches the other way. And you flipped back and forth. And I found it very difficult to learn it from a video because they were changing every two stitches. And also when I pulled up uh, written instructions, the little picture is going, woo, 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 you know, and I was like, um, no, and I'd go back to the video. And I was so frustrated because there wasn't much difference in between the knit and the purl, mostly because the knit stitches looked like purl stitches and the purl stitches looked like purl stitches. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Huh. After maybe 30 minutes of like going to different videos, I finally found a blog post that said, or old Norwegian cast on, the stretchiest cast on that looks the same on both sides. And I was uh. like, yes, <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> because that's what I was getting into. I was getting the pearl bumps on both sides. And it is super tidy and super stretchy and I think awesome for socks or mittens where the yarn is thinner so you can't see the bumps. Or garter stitch. This is going to be my go-to cast on from here on out for a garter stitch cast on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, it's going to be invisible. And then finally, what I did do, because I put in all that effort of making it I had it in my mind that I wanted it to be pearl and knit stitches because these two videos put it in my mind, which they did not deliver, but they put it in my mind, is I did my normal cast on, the long tail cast on for the knit stitches, and I did the Norwegian cast on for the pearl stitches, and I am very, very, very happy with that combination method. Hmm. If I was to flip the brim of the hat, it would be all pearl stitches because the Norwegian, the old Norwegian cast on or the German twisted stash on has those little pearl bumps on both sides. Yeah. Um, so it's still not what I would want on a flipped brim hat, but it's definitely what I would want for like a bottom of a sweater. So I'm very pleased with it. And I'm very pleased that I learned a new technique. And I am mostly pleased that there was finally a blog post that showed I was not doing it wrong and that it does look the same on both sides. And yeah, so you don't need to take the time to learn 
the knitting side weight and the curling weight at this point. That's good to know. I actually, when I first started, you know, and I was doing it wrong out of the book, which it's just a way I'm, I'm sure people could do it from the book. It's just the way that I learn is much better going from that video. I thought, I can't even tell how this is different than the long tail cast on that I almost always use, except or it looks stupid. I mean, I was very <laughs> frustrated. <laughs> but once I figured it out, I, I don't have the muscle memory for it. So I will, you know, I will favorite that that video. So if I ever need to use it again, I can go back and watch it again because I won't have the muscle memory to remember how to do it. Um, but I can mm-hmm. definitely do it from the video. Yeah. Yes. I would only need a small reminder so with the long tail cast on, your needle goes through the loop on your thumb. In this one, you scoop through, you go underneath the loop, and it adds an extra twist to it, adds a little extra yarn to it. And that's the reason why it is such a stretchy cast on. Yeah, the bit I was missing was that you're supposed to, like you twist your thumb around to get the yarn in the right, right way. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, there's no way I ever would have picked that up from just reading in a book. Yes. Okay, that's entertainment. What do you have? I started rereading the Outlander novels. Um, I did uh-huh. it while the husband and the teenagers were on that backcountry backpacking trip. I was home alone, a little bit bored. And I have made it back through the first, I've read the first five books over and over again, except for I skipped number two because I don't really like that one. And so it's uh-huh. kind of calming and it's nice to read because I already know the characters and I like the storyline. Um, and there's a new one that's supposed to come out, book number nine called Go Tell the Bees. And so I thought I would reread through all of them again before I get there. And then I participated in a co-working session online. It was a Zoom meeting. It was mostly quiet. It was like 150 other creative entrepreneurs, almost all women. I didn't scroll through all of the Zoom screens. And it was mostly just silently working on things for your building your business. And every once in a while, you could look up and see the other people on the screen. It was mm-hmm. it was surprisingly a big boost to be able to see all those people all working on individual small businesses. Um, so I'm going to definitely do it again. And then I finally won at Eclipse. You remember that's the game with all of the, you build your um, soci- your space society, you get ships and you, you uh-huh. get technology and stuff. This is the game that the older teen picks whenever he can and almost always wins. And I finally won with my strategy of being the plant people. And they let you explore more and you get points for having more planets. And I blocked off my planets closest to everybody else. And so I could defend if they came to try to attack me. And then I just stayed in my own little corner and expanded and I won. (laughs) Uh And the older teen was um, less than thrilled with that because he didn't think that strategy would ever work. (laughs) That's my that's my game victory, finally. And then I just have one final fun food thing that we figured out since the last time we talked. You can actually make ice cream, vanilla ice cream, without the ice cream maker. I used to have one. I Marie kondo it away. I looked to see how expensive they are because now I'm interested again. They're expensive. I don't want one. So I was looking in my red and white checked cookbook, and um, I found a no-cook vanilla ice cream. And I thought, hmm. So I tried it. It was just four ingredients. I made it. I mixed it really well. I stuck it in the freezer, and it makes ice cream. Like, if you don't mix it really well... It might be a slightly different consistency, but it tastes like ice cream. Um, and you have to do it at least 24 hours ahead of time. So you got to plan ahead. But I did that. Uh-huh. For me, I signed up for Netflix, got a free month, 
so that you and I could watch The Floor is Lava. We needed mm-hmm. something really light, so because we're going to be on a telephone call while a TV show is on, so we could sit in it. So right. I needed something that we could, like, heckle and talk through and not miss anything. So that was nice. But what really was, since I had Netflix, I was able to watch The Great British Bake Off, which I love. There was two new seasons. I was two seasons behind. So I got to watch all of them. And then I went back to the beginning and I watched them all again. Oh, I'm super irritated about Netflix that after you've watched them once and you go back to the beginning, it doesn't cycle through them. So like after I watched uh, season two, it goes backwards back to season one. So I have to physically move it to season three. And then it goes backwards to season two and season one. And I have to physically move it to season four. And I hate that. And um, I'm not happy with Netflix for doing that. But that is not the point of this. The point is, is the first episode in the first season that Netflix shows is cakes. It's always cakes. Yeah. And they have um, upside down cakes, which is my favorite thing to do. So my brother and my dad came down for um, because they had to visit the KU Med again. That happens uh, three times a year. And they stayed here for the weekend. I made them watch that one episode and then the next day, I made um, upside down cakes in that style and had a blast. Because I'm gluten free, I did start with a box mix and I did them as cupcakes because I could just do one box mix. And I did um, upside down cake with mandarin oranges in the center, mm. flavored. One was flavored with jalapeno and one was flavored with basil with an orange uh, drizzle glaze. And so that was my signature bake. Mm -hmm. And that was delicious. And then, thank you. And then the next one had a homemade caramel toffee filling, which that would have been like the technical bake. Mm -hmm. And that one turned out as bad as well as the technical bake does, which is terrible. My homemade caramel (laughs) toffee glaze you could have broken your teeth on it. Uh-huh. So it's like watching them burn all the caramel. That, yeah. Uh-huh. And then the last one was a pineapple upside down cake. And it did not turn out as well as my normal pineapple upside down cakes normally do. I do not know why. Sometimes that happens with the signature bake too. But the basil one mm-hmm. and the jalapeno ones, those two were shockingly delicious. And we had a good time. They thought I was crazy for doing it, but really enjoyed eating the spoils and were a good sport about it. And they'd never seen the show and they loved it. Really? I was wondering how they liked it. Um, The younger younger teen used to like to watch it with me because he likes to bake. Um, I think he's Uh past that stage now, so... Um, Uh So now everybody groans if I happen to pick that when it's my turn. But um, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. My dad works nights, so he's on a different sleep schedule than the rest of us. He watched the whole first season. Uh, oh, wow. The weekend we were here, so yeah. He did like it. <laughs> okay. We are out of time, so thank you for listening to Jim and It. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.